0: This is Julie Henrich, Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I wanted to pop in here for a quick reminder that from June 1st through July 31st, our Pride Award submissions are open. The Pride Award is for emerging LBGTQIA plus authors who write in the crime genre. Information is on sistersincrime.org's website and also in the show notes for this episode. Please spread the word, let anyone know you don't have to be a Sisters in Crime member to submit your materials. Uh, and we're really looking forward to supporting new voices in the crime writing field uh, and new LBGTQIA voices. So June 1st through July 31st, check it out on sistersincrime.org. It's not for members only. Thanks so much. This is Julie Henricus. Welcome to this week's podcast episode, which is a rerun episode with Cheryl Head, who is one of the first Pride Award judges for Sisters in Crime. Cheryl's had an amazing year with a new book, and so I'm looking forward to re-listening to this podcast episode with the knowledge of what has happened in the last year for her and her career. Let me give you her bio. Cheryl A. Head writes the Anthony and Lambda Literary Award nominated and Goldie and Ipbe Award winning Charlie Mack Motown Mysteries. most recent book in the series, Warn Me When It's Time, was dubbed Chilling and Prescient by the New York Times. Cheryl's latest book times undoing a crime novel based on her family's personal tragedy was an indie next pick and an Amazon best book of March. And is an Amazon editor's pick for best mystery thriller and suspense formerly of Detroit, Ted's books are included in the special collections of the Library of Michigan and the Detroit Public Library's African American Books List. She is the vice chair of the Boucher Board of Directors. She lives in Washington, D.C., with her partner and canine supervisors, Abby and Frisbee. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the podcast,
1: Cheryl. Julia. Really, I enjoy already being here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad we get to have a conversation and um, and talk about writing. And, yes. and you know, so I'm going to start the podcast, as I always do, um, and ask you when you first said to yourself, I want to write
1: a book. Ooh, yes, that was later in life. I, I've had a career in public broadcasting. I've written many things. I've published some articles and magazines and newspapers and that kind of thing in in my teens and early adult years. But I was working in public broadcasting and uh, there was a wonderful series that Ken Burns did, a limited series called The War. It looked at World War II and it was about the glory of the war and the small stories of the soldiers and the the challenges they had, but it told some stories about African-American soldiers that didn't ring true to me based on what I'd heard from my own dad who served in World War II. So I thought, well, I'd like to do more research about really what that life was like to yeah. what I saw on that doc with what I knew from my dad. Started doing the research, decided I wanted to write a novel about it, about Black soldiers experiences in World War II, where 85% of them did not go to the front lines but worked in segregated army bases here in Washington, D.C., doing menial tasks, things they had done on the farms or they had done in their their cities. And um, it was it was a labor of love, a gratifying story to write. Took a long time to write. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do justice to the story and honor. To those men and women, I did oral histories with both men and women soldiers and spent a lot of time in the Library of Congress looking so I could know what 1941 through 1945 was like in America. Yeah. And uh, so after I did that. I thought, I, pub- I, I wrote it. I, um, I think I maybe queried two or three people. I thought the hell with that. And I published <laughs> it on Amazon's what was called Create something like Create Place or something like that, Amazon's self-publishing network, a platform. And I I thought, well, good, I've done it. And then uh, just as a catharsis, I thought, I'm going to write a mystery. That'll be fun. I don't have to go to the (laughs) Library of Congress. (laughs) In four months, I wrote my first mystery and uh, self-published that too. And I was all all pleased with myself, you know, and happy about the book. And uh, a, a publisher came up to me and said, I saw it. And would you consider us publishing and making uh, Charlie a lesbian? And I said, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's really how I got my, my feet wet in publishing, because I was content just to have my stories reside out there. I didn't care if anybody read it. <laughs> I was just happy I did it and put the story out there.
0: So, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Oh, there so um, <laughs> for sure, I'm actually fascinated with the World War Two stories, because yeah. um, those stories are not known. And I remember yeah. seeing a play, I think it was a Lynn Nottage play maybe not, uh, a few yeah. years ago that, that talked about some of the stories about the um, uh, soldiers coming back and wearing uniforms and being beaten and lynched yeah, and, and, and all of this, all of, all of these awful things that are part of the whitewashing of our history that we don't know. Folks mm-hmm. who served and, and proudly wore the uniform and did everything right, yes. quote unquote, yes. and still Um, didn't get the respect and segregation was still what they they focused on. So that must have been an emotional journey to like do that research and write that book.
1: Yes. It it was a really emotional journey for me. And, What I found out, Julie, was that there was not a lot written about the home front experience of those soldiers. You know, we we talk about the soldiers that were uh, the Tuskegee Airmen. Lots of people know that story. They're brave men, love them. And the uh, battalion that went to Italy. So there were maybe 15 percent of uh, Negro Negro at the time they were called soldiers went overseas. But most of them were not overseas. And it was um, it was a a it was to me. As courageous as being on the battlefield, because they were facing every single day all this prejudice and backlash, yeah. and know tra- second-class soldiers, and still following orders, you know. Yeah. And and questioning themselves about, you know, I thought this was going to be different. I'm ready to fight Nazis, <laughs> you know, and here I yeah. am dig- digging holes or digging graves or burying garbage or putting up white people's hospitals. Everything in the army at that point was segregated. The hospitals, the eating arrangements, the sleeping arrangements, the theaters, everything was segregated then. So it was, it was, uh, the things I discovered made me sad, but I was happy to be telling that story and to also learn of the folks who just pushed through, served with honor, and looked at the allies, people like Eleanor Roosevelt was a tremendous ally to yeah. the Negro soldier experience and learned about the people who were the entertainers of those days who would go to the, the Black Army bases and perform for the Black soldiers as a way to relieve them from the drudgery of their day-to-day work. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great experience for me, grueling, but I really learned a lot about America and really helped me to give some context to where we are now.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And is this book still available on uh, Amazon?
1: Yeah, it is still available on Amazon. It's called Long Way Home, a World War II story. I'm hoping it I can put it with a traditional publisher and get a bigger footprint for it. But I've sold thousands and thousands of copies of that book. Uh, I wrote it in 2014, believe it was. Wow. Yeah. Well,
0: you've just told another one to me, and oh. I'll make sure it goes in the show note, notes because I do. I, I think we all need to educate ourselves on our our true history. So, thank you. Um, uh, and I, I hope Ken Burns hears this and realizes he needs to add a, another segment.
1: Yeah, Ken's doing better now. He's doing more interesting stories to me now. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about uh, Charlie and yeah. and that that. Let's talk about the writing first and okay. then I want to hear more about this publishing and, okay. and the you know publisher saying, Oh, could you make her a lesbian? <laughs> yeah. Which is which is a tremendous um question that not everyone gets asked, right? <laughs> I mean to oh, <laughs> could you make your you protagonist <laughs> a lesbian is is a good thing to ask. Um so why crime novel? Why did you say to yourself, I want to write a mystery?
1: Because I love the genre. Uh it's relaxing for me to read them it's relaxing for me to watch the BBC (laughs) mystery series that come on PBS. I just, it just takes my blood pressure down. I love them. I love figuring out the puzzle of them. I love being that person to try to figure out who did it well before the end of the show. You know, I grew up reading the Nancy Drew and the Hardy boy stuff. I kind of wanted to be more the Hardy boy than Nancy. (laughs) however. But I, you know, I loved Sherlock Holmes and Poe and all those Mm -hmm. stories that really kind of spoke to me as a young black girl who was clearly weird, (laughs) you know, um, those were the kinds of things that I gravitated to uh, as an adult. So I was reading, you know, Sue Grafton and I was reading uh, the ladies' number one detective agency series and Mm -hmm. course Agatha Christie and Poirot and Chandler and that stuff. But, uh, you know, if, if I wanted to relax with a novel, it was a mystery it was never a romance it was never a biography it was a ro- it was a mystery
0: and so did you how did you learn how to write a mystery having written nonfiction and worked in in, in public television so you know you get yeah. the whole yeah storytelling but how yeah. did you learn how to write a mystery
1: it's a different muscle to flex for sure i mean i think it did help that i knew the storytelling elements of working in public broadcasting and being a producer so i've been telling yeah. stories in a different format in a different platform with the, you know with the visual being the thing driving more than the writing in in a lot of ways so and i and i was a student not a not a master student but a student of the genre so i knew what i liked in the genre i knew i liked the deflection i knew i liked really complicated plots uh, I knew I liked the quirkiness of the protagonist, the, the either the amateur or the professional detective or the police officer. I knew I, I understood all those elements kind of inherently, I guess. I mean, I literally didn't study the stuff. And, then, <laughs> and that first book was just, you know, I wrote this mystery It's great. Here it is <laughs> the world. It was everything I wanted as a reader of mysteries, as a viewer of that genre on, on public television, and, I, and it was very satisfying to me now am I, I'm learning as I go I'm getting better mm-hmm. as I go. I'm doing better at the, the skill at the and the craft of the writing of it I, I think I've always been able to do the plot stuff pretty well to, to imagine the intricacies of a plot and to make the the, the, the threads weave together in a satisfying end and I mean I think I can just inherently do that but the writing part that's a muscle I had to flex um, mm-hmm as you say, coming from nonfiction and writing for radio and TV to writing a novel is a different kind of craft. And, um, I think each book gets better and I'm still learning, um, yeah. and, uh, still learning and one and studying around the, the short story arc. Cause I think if you can perfect the short story, you can get better at everything. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I'm I'm actually going to take some this year, since I'm not writing a lot this year that can be published, I'm going to take some short story uh, classes and workshops so I can get better at that. Because I think that, you know, that three act arc is what I what really drives all storytelling, I think. Yeah. In a, in a way that's satisfying to people. Even when you go to see a play, when you read a book, when you see it on t- TV, it's built Absolutely. around you know it, you know it's Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the three act structure is definitely something yeah. we all recognize. Right. The short story is is I think an amazing ability because you're really taking a moment and. That's right. and putting everything into that and moment,
1: that moment. <laughs> and it means the precise selection of words and the yeah. precise selection of dialogue and you're you're weaning out all the the stuff you don't need i think that's fabulous <laughs> I, really yeah. Think yeah. I just i'm so amazed at people who do it well there's so many yeah. people in our in our little sphere of the world in crime fiction who do such an excellent job of that
0: Such an excellent job. And there have been some wonderful anthologies coming out in the last few years of of different short stories. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And they're more diverse. And to me, they're more interesting. I have a a broader swath of stories. I really am enjoying the anthologies. Yeah.
0: Um, Now, are you a plotter or a pantser or uh, a bit of both? Or Mm -hmm. or what's your process
1: like? Well, I've become a hybrid, but I started Mm -hmm. off purely as a plotter. Uh, outlining the story Uh, the first one was more outlined in my head to tell you the truth but it clearly I was following an outline the second book all total outline I'll just you know going to the outline and go and go into the outline Uh, but I realized in the third book that I could just start writing the idea down first and so I did that for a while then I get stuck Then I go like, okay, now it's time to do the outline. What's what's happening next? So I found that that's a pretty good, that hybrid approach is a pretty good device for me. Um, So I'll jot down the idea, a couple paragraphs, then start writing it. And then to get to a place where I just don't know where to go. And then I'll outline. I did that in graduate school. I I would write the paper, then I'd do the The table of contents.
0: And I I find in my conversations with folks uh, on this podcast that a lot of people evolve their their way of doing it over time because yeah. the same bag of tricks doesn't keep working.
1: Yeah. Find an outline is a really good security blanket. Cause you know, when you do get stuck, you can go and say, Oh, yeah, that's right. I haven't put that there, or maybe let's move that up. So it does become a really nice kind of a cheat sheet or security blanket, I would I would call it more. Um uh, so it's good to have, but then yeah, I don't know if you're as creative if you're just sticking to the outline. In fact, I know you're not at least I don't
0: know now. Do you have a, an idea for a arc on, on the not series? Not always. Okay.
1: I, I have real literally written a couple of books where I don't know who did it, like halfway through, I'm not sure who did it. So okay. that's not always so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, that part of the outlining that way helps me to have thought through the whole story Mm -hmm. Uh, And if I'm not outlining, I definitely don't think beyond like what I'm seeing in my head is the first few chapters or the first few scenes or that kind of or the or the usually I'm building around a, a concept, usually not around a protagonist or antagonist. It's the concept that turns me on. I'm going like, wow, that's a great idea. And I just start writing it, you know. I, te- I, I like lots of different parts of the landscape of crime fiction. I haven't written a cozy. I don't know if I can do it. I so admire the titles. But I lean towards noir and I lean towards thrillers. And I kind of want to keep fresh and keep you know amusing myself in the writing. So I'll try different things.
0: And you do try different things. You get series and you're, you know, you get standalone and you get different, you know. So <clears throat> tell me about your your series first and, yeah. and how how the characters showed up for you. I mean, yeah. was it it would you know, just I wanna write a mystery, so you thought about the character or was the character sitting there with you saying, Ha, ah, tell What's my up? story. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, okay. So my two uh, conceits are that black women are natural born detectives. That's the first conceit. So I thought, well, I'm going to make this black woman a private investigator. Yeah. That's what we do all the time anyway. We just don't call it that. So that was the first conceit. The second conceit was I wanted it to be about Detroit and be an homage to Detroit, where I grew up, where I was born. Mm-hmm. And I, looking back in my, on my life, I was thinking, you know, there's this like 12 mile square area where I spent of my life, you know, went to college there. I worked two different jobs there. And so I thought, I'm going to just tell a story about what Detroit feels like to me as a person who loves it. And so that was really what started me, just those those two ideas. Black women can solve problems because that's what we do. And what problem would we have in Detroit? And I said uh, purposely set the, the series in the mid-2000s of Detroit, which was a really hard time for the city.
0: Mm-hmm. It,
1: uh, financially, culturally, racially, it was a hard time. Uh, I, I believe that Detroit's one of those bellwether cities where things that will show up later in our society and other cities uh, concerns show up first in Detroit. I think LA is a city like that, there are the places, but uh, you know the, the thing around the creativity of Detroit, plus it's experiments around um, social and cultural mixings <laughs> I think uh, are, are important things to look at when we look at how uh, America has evolved.
0: And do you find now, you know, the further you get from the mid 2000s, um, are you are you happy that you've made this choice to focus on that time? And, you know, do you find that you want to sort of add some current things in so that you can mix them in and make them fit? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm
1: now thinking, yes, it makes total sense. I Now want to jump like 10 years ahead. I really do. And. The last book took on some of the current issues around hate groups, Mm -hmm. but because it said in 2009 in the first um, administration of Obama, it really talks about what's the nascent beginnings of hate groups. Yeah. So it kind of shows an explanation of how these groups both grew and thrived and who's attracted to them and that kind of thing. I wanted to I wanted to understand what was afoot. Sounds like Sherlock Holmes. What was afoot when, you know, when you think about who are the men, mostly white men and, and women, too, who were attacking the Capitol on January 6th? I'm thinking, who are these people? Yeah. But who, yeah. who are the men, all white men, who conspired to kidnap the governor of Michigan? What, yeah. what, were, they, what were they thinking? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I wanted yeah. to write. Where did that come from? What are the origins of those actions and those thoughts and those feelings?
0: Of course, if we could go back in time and tell our 2009 selves that all of this would have happened. We, we wouldn't would,
1: believe it. There would right? be more, there would be more killing in the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we would be trying to snip that in the book. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah.
0: uh it's it's quite the journey. These mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. um so tell me about um well let's yeah let's keep talking about the, oh, the, the series. series. And yeah. then I want to talk a little bit more about your writing you know process okay. and things like that but yeah. um i actually the other interesting thing to me focusing in 2009 is that you're still in the are there cell phones is there coverage like you can still play with technology and have that be an issue because these days there it, it takes you know technology takes away so much
1: <laughs> peril that's, that's right no you're absolutely right and that's that's the, when i miss the most that i'm not in contemporary days so the first book i'm talking about blackberries <laughs> i'm going like wait a minute nobody uses a blackberry anymore but, so but we it, had it, them yes and catching up to that technology you're right it really changes the way we would solve a problem or the way we yeah respond to peril, you know, all that. Um, I'm pretty sure I have three more. I would say I have at least three more books in that series. I've done six. And uh, now that I've been in 2009, I'm going to fast forward to probably right around 2016, 15, 16, at least. So we're only I'm only five years back because I have one character in the book, uh, Charlie's mom, who has early onset Alzheimer's. I've been really reluctant to move forward and kill her or have her further de- demise in the book. But my editor keeps saying, are you sure Ernestine could do that? You know, Ernestine has dementia, yeah. and you know, that kind of thing. So I've got to reconcile my feelings about that and my uh, understanding that I want to move the story forward because I also want Charlie and her partner, Mandy, to be able to talk about gay marriage. That was not happening in 2009 in Michigan. Right. Uh, it wasn't legal. Right. It, that time so there are some there are some issues I want to deal with that are contemporary issues that require me to move the story forward and I'll do that um I will say and I didn't really respond to your question about the the series that in addition to Charlie and her mom there are these other this gaggle of really secondary characters that I love um one is a guy named Don Rutkowski, who was an amalgam of all the white men I knew in Detroit, both good and bad. The ones who helped me, who mentored me and the ones who irritated the shit out of me. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I find the joy in writing Don uh, because I can just say whatever the hell I want to say. Because he was, yeah. you know, so yeah. that part is really a release for me. Yeah. And and yet with Don, there is a a trajectory of his growth in that story because of his proximity to Charlie and his partners. And they're constantly, you know, clucking their tongues at him when he's saying something really racist or dumb or just that kind of thing. And um, and Charlie, who is a person who is a a little wound up tightly around her emotions, doesn't express them very well. She's got these people that help her with that. Mandy, her partner, but also her, her office manager, Judy um, Novak. Uh, so I've got two Polish-American characters in there that I knew growing up in Detroit because Ham Tranny's there and it's a big Polish enclave. And yeah. I spent a lot of time there eating food, <laughs> <and> <laughs> hanging with people. And I, I, I love uh, kind of the culture, the Polish culture as it showed up in Detroit and what that's about and the connection they had to Black people there. And so I, I have fun with that. I have one Hispanic American male there because there is a big group of Hispanic people like there is all across America now. Yeah. Uh, um, and I wanted to explore how these different races and classes would get to would come together and work together in a really effective way. I think they're I think they're powerful as a team. And I think Charlie is so much better a protagonist because she has them to bounce off of and yeah. then she has them to pressure her you know, to change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, and I also love hearing about this because you're telling a real story. You're telling a story of a city that has that diversity. You're not making like, it up. It's no. true. Yes, <laughs> this, it is is, this is her lived experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you're exploring the richness of that and the foibles and the and the challenges and the yes. growth and the pushback and right. and her experience as a black woman which you are uniquely able yeah. to write. <laughs> oh, you know, I couldn't write her experience, right? Yeah, but right. I could add diverse characters to a book I'm working on if Absolutely. they're if they if it's true. It's yes. got to be true.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, I think there's certainly value in the authenticity of own voices writing. You know, um, I always say I think writers should write anything they want. Um, but but if you're writing outside of your culture and it's not a, a third party, you know, a third character that's coming down the street and you're just describing them, them briefly as someone who's really meaningful to your story, then there's a lot of homework to be done and a lot Absolutely. of uh, understanding of that culture that needs to be um, inculcated before you put it down on paper to me. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, think, I think readers spot it when it's superficial and it's tropey and it's stereotypical.
0: Yeah. And we want to avoid stereotypes. Yep. I think that I'm that's here. the, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Um, and I think adding complexity and richness is yeah. part of it. And this is an ongoing conversation and a journey yeah. um, for writers, but I think we really need to, uh, work on this so that yeah. our our books and our writing is are more complex and more interesting. I
1: think it makes it so. I think it makes our genre so much more interesting now that we, someone like me and so many other really fine crime writers of color, can can understand the fundamentals of mystery writing and love the classic mystery books and mystery writers, and yeah. then riff on them. Yeah, to add these new layers that, you know, that didn't, that Chandler didn't have, you know, so I, I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying reading Naomi Hirohara's Japanese-American gardener protagonist, you know? Yes, I, yes. You know, I, yeah. That's freeing to me, and it's, and it's much more real, you
0: know? Yeah, well, and it's, it's wonderful for me to read all of these, uh, wonderful books. I mean, we're in a golden age of are, books absolutely. coming out right now, yeah. um, that allow me to explore the world with a different lens. That's completely different, or but also might have some similarities or some places where it's like, oh yeah, I have that happen too. Or yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. it, it's this is part of the human experience, and I think it's really wonderful that I uh, think so. And I think our readers
1: demand it of us. You know, they they look the world, <laughs> yeah, basically the world around them, and uh we you know it's no longer Cabot Cove. You know, it's no. Just, yeah, no,
0: it isn't. I mean, and and bust it. I mean, we love we love Jessica Fletcher, we love, love Cabaco, um, but Maine is the whitest this, <laughs> state in the entire
1: country. I've been country. there <laughs> and I can attest to that.
0: <laughs> Wonderful place, great it lobster. Place,
1: but <laughs> huh. I think huh. the, the city I visited, Brooklyn, Maine. And I looked it up before I came. I'm going like, let me see where I'm going. <laughs> I think it was 0.4 percent African American. So I, 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 I joked with my friends that I would make it 0.45. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: um, so uh, when you you wrote your first book you put it out there and you had uh somebody a publisher come up to you and say can you make her a lesbian
1: yes yes
0: tell me that story
1: (laughs) funny story to me so i had the book out uh i I was at a reading uh someone invited me to go to a a a festival in rehoboth beach there was a lgbtq festival Mm -hmm. and um I'm reading at the bookstore and the publisher comes to me afterwards and says, you know, I read your book. I really like it. Thank you. You think you, I'm, I'm at a LGBTQ festival. Because that tells you something already. But, she, but there is no lesbian content in my first version of that book because I'm one of these nor purists where... There's no romance in noir. Yeah. You might see some woman and say, oh, great dams. And then you move on. <laughs> there was no romance in it at all. And so she said that to me, I like the book. Do you think Charlie could be a lesbian? And I said, yeah, I don't think she could. And I yeah. went back to my beta readers and they all said to a person, we thought she was. <laughs> so I thought, well, this is a little bit easier than I thought. But what I had to do is go and add romance scenes, which was grueling and hard and awful. <laughs> I'm just no good at it. I'm gonna, so I'm looking for some help. You know, I'm putting on my analytical cap. I'm going like, what percentage of romance to mystery should there be in this book? <laughs> go like, I don't know. You know, so I literally had to write. I think I wrote three sex scenes because it just seemed like that was, you know, plopping them into the already written story. And so you'll see in the trajectory of the series that there's more sex in the first book and almost no sex (laughs) book because I just that doesn't come natural to me. And I don't, you know, then plus it's a lesbian relationship. And I think like all relationships, marriages, whether they're straight or gay, you know, you have sex at the beginning and towards the end, you know, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) This probably is getting really far away from our purpose
0: of this <laughs> <laughs> Well, but I also think, you know, in talking about genre, P.I., Noir, yeah. you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's, there, there are certain things that you do. The beauty of writing something that uh, is self-published is that you can go back and write and, a second version. and That's right. And figure yeah. that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, making it yeah. clearer. Yeah, more yeah, you know, people could. Yeah, I think yeah. it's more
1: interesting in some yeah. ways, but. I don't think they needed the sex things. I mean, I think the story's good without them, but but the lesbians like it.
0: Yeah. Well, and also you let everyone know, oh, in case case there was a question, here we go. (laughs) Very (laughs) graphic. Glad to to help you out with that. (laughs) Um, What's the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you've gotten?
1: Okay. So the worst piece is write what you know. That just never, I never, I didn't know anything yeah, did. about World War II, <laughs> but I wanted yeah. to learn about it and I did learn about it. So I think that's, maybe it's easier to write what you know and that's where you start. And of course, maybe the the the, the concept or the innards of the story is all what you know, but after that, you've just got to do the work of homework yeah. and research and that kind of thing. And, you know, write what turns you on is, is uh, makes more sense to me. And then the best piece of advice um probably a couple of things um in the ed- editing for me is the worst part of the work it's just grueling and hard and do- I'm doing revisions right now and it's just like ah, you know you don't want to sit down <laughs> you don't want to do it but I heard someone say it really helps to read your story aloud you really you can catch both copy edits and you can catch problems with dialogue and you can, the the rhythm of the story presents itself when you're reading it aloud. So that has helped me. And I will often do that, uh, especially in chapters or or, or areas where I think it's clunky Mm -hmm. and I'll read it aloud and smooth it out based on the rhythm of it. Uh, So that's been a really good piece of advice for me. And then I guess the other would be, um, to uh do more around atmospherics. Um, so I'm a great admirer of people who can like like a James Lee Burke, who I once counted in one of his stories, 86, an 86-word 86 sentence that was describing a swamp <laughs> or something like that. Uh, uh, wow. Yeah, I need, mean, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty pedantic writer. And so sometimes I'll go back and add some flourish to it to make it more visually appealing or just to, you know, you, you feel like you're there rather than I'm just telling you it's there. So I'm yes. trying to do more showing.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's that ongoing. But 86 words, that's like, like a
1: 86 word sentence. And it was beautiful.
0: <laughs> Did you diagram sentences when you were in high school or, or yeah, is we, this something?
1: We had to do it then. That meant, yeah. know, In my public school education, yes, you diagram sentences, uh, you know, everything was, you're writing it out. It's not on the, you really knew how to do math. Yeah. And, and you about.
0: had the piece of paper with all the yeah, things, but paper. my, my teacher would give us like, you know, Faulkner, like these sentences. Wow. From hell, we're just like, are you kidding me? So, this 86 word sentence, I'm getting those flashbacks yes, of some I person do. trying to diagram yeah. it like, right. what's I mean, the subject?
1: I, I'm, I'm just getting to a point where I can put a preposition at the end of a sentence <laughs> because yeah. school stuff is like, no, you're not getting I hear
0: you. I hear even emails, I fix it. You. I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I edit texts. I mean, it's just it never goes away.
1: <laughs> right. I do like the freedom of kind of the new writing though. And I and I read poetry. Uh when I get stuck, I'll read poetry to loosen up. So that's yeah. all pleasure for me.
0: Yeah. Poetry is an amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Faith Snowden uh, recommended that to me at one point to to help me get through a writing block. She's like, read poetry. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And it's true. It really is true. Yeah. Makes your brain think differently.
1: Absolutely. And it makes you use the space on the page differently, which I admire, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully. So tied by uh, the structure of the sentence.
0: Now, Cheryl, you have a book coming out next year and I want to talk about that. Tell me a little bit about this project.
1: Well, it's a it's a novel based on a, a family tragedy, a personal family tragedy. And I was, like everyone, home with COVID in March of 2020 uh, when George Floyd died. And it just, I was so angry about it. I remember just walking through the house, just raving and realized now is the time to tell this family story that I've just been putting off. I, I really hadn't even considered writing the story. It just had been... This this mythology in our family about my father being murdered by Birmingham, Alabama police in 1929. Uh, I've heard the story over and over again from my mother, from her sister, you know, the the whispers about it. My mother heard the whispers about it. Nobody really wanted to talk about it, but it was a story that was just part of our life. My mother would say, yes, and your father and your great, and my my father, your grandfather. And so uh, I decided, you know, wait a minute, let me look at that. Let me look at this yeah. story. How does it connect to what's happening with policing in Black communities now? Yeah. And so I started doing research on this story. And it was an amazing cathartic thing for me, but also, I think, a really interesting story about how systemic racism in police departments, is not a new phenomenon, yeah. and the murder of black people, uh, you know, by uh, by the hands of police officers, are, is not a, a, a contemporary issue. It's an mm-hmm. issue that's been around a long time. I've got police officers in my family, so I don't have any. And I and I grew up at a time where you know we had officer friendly. <laughs> come to our school and we feel like the policeman is your friend. Yeah. And that was that was ground into me. But I you know I'm now I'm afraid of I'm afraid of police. I really am. I mean and I'm an older black woman who should be safe from police cuz I'm not yeah. doing anything. <laughs> I'm no danger. But yeah. I when I see a couple of police officers I tense up. So anyway, that that I didn't mean to do therapy here. So uh, the story is about um a young reporter from Detroit who is covering the Black Lives Matter beat for the Detroit Free Press. And she pitches to her editorial team to tell the story of her great-grandfather who was killed by Birmingham Alabama police as a way to give some context to the news story. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of a parallel with my life. And uh, it's a dual timeline, 1929 in the voice of the, the great-grandfather, 2019 in the voice of this young reporter. And her goal in going to Birmingham is to solve the, the mystery of his murder. What are the details of his murder? Um, and she does at the end. And um, I think it's a story of, you know, sobering in a way, but there's a romance in it. Uh, she meets some people who helps her who help her in such an amazing way to tell this story because people want it to be told. They go like, that's awful. How can I help you? And at the end, I think it offers some hope around how cities can change, how communities can change, and how relationships between uh, Black and white folks and other people can really change and have changed. I think we have come a long way, still a long way to go. Um, and yeah. so um you know that it's called time's undoing, and uh, I think it's a really good story. I'm writing in the middle of revisions right now, so I feel like I'm writing the story all over again <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh I think it's a good story, and I think I'm hoping it'll have traction for people
0: and did you when you were um looking into your grandfather's murder, yeah did you learn things like, I yeah. mean, if family lore, I, I've always found that the stories that get passed down, then you start to yeah. research, you're like,
1: Oh, you're like, well, that's <laughs> not, that's not, that didn't happen. Yeah. 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 I have learned so much now. And I'm the, the beauty of it is I'm able to tell my 93, 94 year old mother about it. I'm going like, uh, guess what? Granddad didn't die on in September. He died in June because I have his death certificate now for the first time ever in uh, in your life. <laughs> so I'm doing the research because I'm looking uh-huh. through newspapers and I actually uh, came across this is amazing to me and I'm I feel like I'm getting help from you know someone to, to tell this story. I am on Ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. It's part of my research. Ancestry.com has a relationship with newspapers.com. I sign up for it. And I'm just going through newspaper after newspaper. How are black folks treated in 1929? What is Birmingham like in 1929? You know, that kind of research. I think I've done done that for two or three months looking through newspapers on and off. And I came across finally looking at a St. Petersburg paper, which is where my family is from, an article that says, the headline says, Negro man, local Negro man killed by Birmingham police. And it's about my great, it's about my grandfather. Wow! Listen his name. Says he's killed by police <laughs> for resisting wow. arrest. Wow! Wow! And I remember sitting there because it was, it was almost like a parallel with what my protagonist is doing. And I remember sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, I have found proof that, wow. you know, that, that this story is not just folklore." Yeah. And wow. So, we still don't know where he's buried. We still don't know where my grandfather's buried. I'm still doing that kind of research. Um, there's been some Northwestern University has done a big, um, expose on the um, Birmingham police shootings that, that end right at 19, I think it ends at 1929 or something like that. So I'm going to call those researchers and see how they got access to their information and what they put in their report and that kind of thing. So there's still some research to do, but the story is in itself written, but my personal story is not totally written yet.
0: Yeah. Wow, Cheryl. Wow. And your mom was was little when all this
1: happened. My mom was only two. So, I mean, it was literally her relatives telling her what happened and then her telling her children what happened and and then the siblings telling each other what happened. But it was this constant through line of of specific facts that turned out to be true. You know, know, it's, it's amazing to me. It really is. But my mother's eyesight is not... Great now, so I'm actually reading her passages. She's like, "Are you, are you going to read me another chapter?" Yes. Uh, oh, oh and that's so, so good. But she'll say, "It didn't happen that way." And I'll say, "Well, <laughs> I'll say this is fiction, Mom. I'm like yeah. stuff up." too.
0: <laughs> I made this part up. Mom. <laughs> and remind me the name again.
1: It's called Times Undoing,
0: and it's going to be out in 2023, 2023.
1: Right. Yeah,
0: congratulations. So, are you? So, this is a standalone. This
1: is standalone. a standalone. You know, I'm, I'm um, writing a sequel to it because I want to. I want to expand on the kind of the the romance that comes out as a result of of the reporter's work in Birmingham. So, I have started outlining. That's <laughs> a, awesome. A sequel.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, You know, and so, but you're going to keep writing your series as well.
1: Yeah. I, 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 again, I think I have at least three or four more books in me and I've outlined three more stories in the Charlie series. So I'm hoping to do those, but I can't publish them until after this other book comes out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And do you, are you able to work on two projects at the same time
1: yeah. or yes? Yes. During COVID I wrote a Charlie book, this time's undoing draft and a third novel so yes wow
0: wow good for you because yeah, so, a lot of people can't a lot of people <laughs> can.
1: yeah I, I wrote i have a standalone i would i hope is the beginning of a series of a spinoff of the charlie book set in dc oh fun one of the characters spun off
0: oh good for yeah. you that's yeah. fun yes. okay. <laughs> um so let's talk just in a couple minutes we have left about the importance of community to writing and to to being a writer. I mean, you're a a member of the crime writing community. You were a judge for the Sink Pride Award last year. You're a member of Crime Writers of Color. Um, You're a member of Sisters in Crime and other organizations. And so just um, tell, you know, tell me about community and writing for you. So
1: important. And and for introverts like I am, you don't always, know intuitively that it is important. I, mean, I, I have a, a a writing group that I work with. They're wonderful to me. They're about the same age, you know, same kind of experience. They can, you know, they are both supportive and comforting to me. And at the same time going like, Cheryl, you know, that is not a good, that's terrible. <laughs> that kind of thing. You need, you need that. You need someone on yeah. your loved one who will say, oh honey, that's great. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> But then beyond that community, I found that it really helps to have the community of writers uh, that both Sisters in Crime provides, but also the Crime Writers Color Group I'm in provides mm-hmm. people who just keep you lifted up, you know, who celebrate with you when you have successes and commiserate with you when you have rejections or you have a, a, a the day where you have imposter syndrome. You know, like, sure, you know, you, you know, you're a great writer. Um so community is so important, and I, I think even for an in- introvert like me, you can still you you move in and out of that community in a way that's still going to give you all the help you need, and hopefully you help that community as well. So I'm really big on the writing community, uh, the conferences we have, in our. In our landscape of writing are, are really good conferences, I think. And they're mm-hmm. each of them a little bit different. And I've gotten to meet so many people that I admire that I see on Facebook and I'm going like, I know that person, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it really, this time during Facebook, it really helps me to make connections about them that I, pro- I probably wouldn't make if I had just yeah. seen them at the conferences. But now I know about their children, yeah, <laughs> and their yeah. Pets and that kind of thing. So important community. And Sisters in Crime does a really good job of Almost all the aspects of it, like the writing help, all the resources that are available, um, the opportunities to connect with other folks like the breakfast that happens at Bouchercon, the Sisters in Crime breakfast. That's so much fun. Yeah. The, the awards you give out, you know, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very high on the community right now.
0: Yeah. Well, and you're on the Bouchercon. uh Committee, which is the the largest crime writing um, conference in the world. It's um, for fans, but yeah, obviously a lot of writers conference. are there. But it's a fan yeah. conference, yeah. Um, and it's happening in Minneapolis in yeah. September. September. That's right. Um, I'm. I'm trying to remember the dates off the top of my head. September uh, seventh <laughs> is coming up. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, okay. um, but um, it's we haven't been able to do it in person for two years. We haven't.
1: We in fact we had to cancel the one in New Orleans for the for this year.
0: Yeah.
1: Or last year, and uh, it'll be a great conference to get together with the folks who admire this genre. I mean, the fans, the authors, the publishers, the other industry experts were all there to celebrate mystery and crime fiction. And yeah. I've been to, this will be my fourth one. And my first one was in St. Pete. I didn't know a damn person there, but my mom lives in St. Pete, so I was there. <laughs> yeah. And right away, you know, you get caught up in the community. People are so wonderful and giving and welcoming. Um, I was at Malice a few years ago to, and then I saw Joanne Love. And of course I'm standing there trying to meet her while she's surrounded yeah. by people who were talking to her as so I'm waiting. And then Kelly Garrett just sees me standing there and I see her look at me and I look at her and she's you know checking me out and I'm checking her out. You know? And <laughs> you know, she comes over, she goes like, girl, you want to come to a, a meeting of, black, of the black women writing crime? I'm going like, yes. <laughs> yes. So you know, yeah. just these folks who come and grab you and <laughs> say, yeah, you're part of us now.
0: Yeah, no, it's and it's so important to to have those communities and have yeah. those connections yeah. and to see each other in 3D. But the yeah. people you just mentioned drew in love. I'm going to put her blog in the oh show notes God. because she is a champion oh, she of is. the mystery okay. community. A, a champion.
1: Just a of, labor of love for her.
0: Labor of love. And she yeah. uh, she's just oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Happy. I do too. I and do too. All genre, all the subgenre of the, of the mystery community. She is so giving. She's a wonderful person,
0: and she does it in a bunch of different ways. She lets yes. you know she she reviews but she also has a blog where characters come to visit she also just you know will launch a cover I mean she's helped so many careers (laughs) Uh, every
1: month talks about the new releases yes
0: absolutely yeah so people should know about her and follow her on social media and meet her at conferences because she comes to conferences um and Kelly Garrett is um is uh just an amazing
1: force she is she's an advocate <laughs> she is so uh, she is one of the people who's uh Really giving, she's like a you know like your little sister for me, little sister. <laughs> you know she yeah. she will she will chide you, she will remind you of the, the work that needs to be done. She she doesn't take prisoners easily. No, yeah. so if you no. mess up, she's gonna like mm-hmm, you messed up mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's yeah. talk. About it, you know, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's interesting in our in our community how the gen the generations respond to each other. You know, uh there's this cadre of new writers, Kelly's generation and younger, who are just pressing for change and they want it now, you know. Yeah. And I'm on in an older generation where everyone like they're doing the best they can. <laughs> It'll be okay. They're doing the best. Yeah, yeah Cheryl, but they had their chance. Let's get it done now. <laughs> you know, and I yeah. think you know, it makes sense to me and I understand that energy. And uh I think we, you know, I think it's such a rich community now, I think that we, we don't even know the benefits of it. We won't see them until 10 or 15 years later. Yes. We have this new generation of crime and mystery fans yeah. who are celebrating the work, who are watching the new TV shows, who are, you know, writing the new books, who are reading the new books. I mean, I think we're bringing people into the fold because mystery makes sense to them now. You yes. Know? Mystery writers yep. are the ones who observe see the horizon and go like this shit is about to happen. I'm sorry. Can you cuss on these? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can, you can. But but you're exactly right. I mean, mystery and crime talks about I mean it's about justice, whatever about that looks justice. like.
1: And they and to spell out that it looks differently for different people. Absolutely. Take on those issues. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the generation is interesting because I suspect you and I are are around the same age and and we um we do make excuses. For, yeah, for I mean, people yeah. behaving badly, that's just yeah. how you sort of navigate it. Because that's how we have
1: had to navigate it, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, <laughs> and, and we also see that change has been made. You know, well, like yeah. things, are, things are actually better. Yeah, as bad as it is,
0: <laughs> bad as it is, the generation ahead of us told us a lot worse stories. So you that's know, right. That's
1: right. but
0: I I love this generation coming up because do, I'm just like let them lead. Let me do what I can
1: to support
0: yes. them because yeah. they they are. Taking no prisoners and you know, demand and change.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and I think I think the genre genre will be better for it. I do too. The writing is interesting. The topics they're taking on are interesting. The approaches to stories interesting. They're working together in collaborative ways that are interesting. So it's gonna be good.
0: And there's joy. I mean, it's not all, you know, it's it's all sorts of books. And so, yes. you know, uh, and all sorts of stories and Absolutely. everything else so that there's joy in the stories and there's exploration. And, yeah. there's you know, it's 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 a what it's a time of vibrancy.
1: Absolutely. That's a great word, vibrancy. And and I would also add commonality. You will see so many stories. You, I'm talking to you readers who have maybe not written a, read a book by a person of color or a crime writer of color. You will see so much in there that you recognize and that yes. seems familiar to you and that you go know, like, I got two poodles too. <laughs>
0: exactly' gonna solve this crime i have aunts like that,
1: <laughs> I have aunts like that.
0: <laughs> no it's a it's a glorious time um to celebrate and i am so glad that we're we had this conversation celebrating charlie but i'm really excited about the book next year thank and you huge congratulations on that it's, you, it sounds like it's going to be extraordinary thank you Adam. yeah
1: so and thank you for everything you do with sisters in crime such a lot of work I know but you know just well worth it for us
0: no it's a it's a wonderful organization and a wonderful community and I'm incredibly blessed thank you Cheryl thank you Julie thank you for being with us today sisters in crime is about community